0: On Wednesday, in a House of Commons debate on social media, MPs described the scale of the abuse, including death threats they were subjected to in the recent election. In Ireland, the Jobstown trial featured a social media campaign typical of the genre, personal and abusive. In America, women video game programmers have had to leave their homes on police advice. Everywhere in Western society, social media is a tool to shame and intimidate Public discourse, people's lives destroyed by social media. That's our talking point this morning. And in studio, Owen O'Dell is a law lecturer in Trinity College. Marie Boren is a columnist with the Irish Times. Leslie Shoemaker is a counselling psychologist. And Angela Nagel is a writer and author of Kill All Normies, her recent book about the culture wars on the internet. First this morning, we're going to hear from Diane Abbott, the Labour MP, who was subjected to abuse during the recent election.
1: I've had death threats. I've had people tweeting that I should be hung if, quotes, they could find a tree big enough to take the fat bitch's weight. There was an EDL-affiliated Twitter account, hashtag Burn Diana, but I've had rape threats described as a pathetic, useless, fat, black piece of ugly, fat, black bitch, and over and over again. And this comes in through emails, through Twitter, through Facebook. I think the rise in the use of online has turbocharged abuse. Because, you know, 30 years ago, when I first became an MP, if you wanted to attack an MP, you had to write a letter, usually in green ink, you had to put it in an envelope, you had to put a stamp on it, and you had to walk to the post box. Now they press a button and you read vile abuse, which 30 years ago people would have been frightened to even write down. Um,
0: Angela Nagel, will you give us a flavour of what's going on on the American side and what you call the culture wars on the internet? Yeah, I mean, there's, um, I guess, a kind
2: of um, a dynamic between a culture of ultra-sensitivity online and then a kind of reaction to it, which is like ultra-insensitivity. Um, and so a strange thing has happened, which is like, The centre of debate, people who have to put their name to what they say online, for example, Uh, you know, the the limits of what you can say uh, have been even more restricted. Um, But then you have this anonymous internet on the margins where people are venting and saying the kind of things they're not allowed to say elsewhere. Uh, So typically around kind of uh, Donald Trump and around, uh, as you mentioned, Gamergate and things like that. um, Yeah, there's been a big ramping up of... um, uh, attacks and personalised abuse and um, uh, I guess kind of bullying campaigns.
0: Um, Marie Boren, tell us about Gamergate because I think a lot of our listeners mightn't know about that, but it will just give a flavour of how serious this gets.
3: Well, it's probably one of the most famous online harassment campaigns that we've heard about in the last few years. It's It, it was an attack against female video game developers in America. It started out with this woman, Zoe Quinn, and um, she was accused of having carried favour for reviews for her video game because she had been in a relationship with a video games journalist who hadn't even reviewed her game. So it was spurious to begin with but it started this hashtag Gamergate where lots of um, male video gamers started attacking her based on her gender and she got death threats and rape threats and was afraid to be in her home because she was doxxed which is revealing somebody's actual real address online. So um, this spread to Brianna Wu another um, outspoken video gamer or video games developer who was trying to support her um, Anita Sar- Sarkeesian she's also an outspoken um, activist and feminist so all of these any woman or man who stood up for these women who were being attacked got vile threats on twitter and reddit and of course 4chan which is kind of known for being quite toxic
0: and we both saw Brianna who speak at the Inspire Fest festival a couple mm. of years ago and I saw videos that she had been sent. And so this wasn't just about, um, you know, mean texts. Yeah. These were guys in Silence of the Lamb type masks, you know, giving really scary debt threats that, and she ended up having to leave her home. Like, this is real. <laughs> you know.
3: Absolutely, a lot of people think online abuse is like, oh, your feelings were hurt. Somebody said something mean about you on Twitter. Just log off. But it does relate to the real world, and there are real world psychological effects, of course, of being abused online. Whether it's yeah, whether it's something that you can actually report to the guardie, or it's something that's you know a bit more.
0: Um, a bit less sinister. Um, oh no! The last time you were on the program, we were talking about blasphemy, and we spent a lot of time talking about well, you know, people can feel offended about stuff, but you know, they may just have to cope with that and you know, get on with things. Um, we're talking about something different here about personalised abuse. Is there any crime being committed? Is there any legal remedy for people who are being attacked in this way?
4: Uh, even in the United States, there are crimes being committed in the circumstances uh, that, that Angela and Maura have just described. Um, if it amounts to a true threat, uh, and I'm afraid that that's almost a, t- uh, a tongue twister, but yeah. if it amounts to a true, uh, a true threat, then um, that is a crime, even in the United States, where the First Amendment protects a wide range of expression. Um, and in the circumstances that Maura has just described, there were a lot of true threats. Uh, a lot of the people were able to be traced. Um, and there were uh, um, some police activity in Ireland, the criminal offence is actually quite broad. There is a, a criminal offence of harassment. Now, it does require more than one um, uh, occasion of harassment. Uh, but in all of the circumstances that we're discussing, it's it's a campaign, and if that campaign is an harassing campaign, then uh, that's a criminal offence in Ireland as well. Uh, and again, uh, technologically, you know, it used to be said uh, on the internet, nobody knows you're a dog. Now they know your 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 breed, uh, your color, <laughs> um, your uh, your relationship status, your location, and so on. Um, so it's very it's very hard to be anonymous online now, and therefore things can be traced back even to so-called anonymous accounts Um, and not only are there criminal um, charges that can be brought but uh, in civil cases you can also get um, orders uh, to uh, identify uh, anonymous um, posters on um, Twitter and Facebook and uh, WordPress and so on Uh, and you can take civil actions in in defamation or privacy or harassment as well.
0: Well, What's the line though between say a True threat, which yes is a difficult thing to say, and kind of generalized abuse, like what Diane Abbott was talking about—you know, being called a bitch, the c-word, all of these things—you know—so not an actual death threat or rape threat, but just this constant um, abusive language.
4: the The legal uh, the, the the legal standard in the states and the legal standard in England requires. Uh, credibility in the threat and menace in the threat. Um, So generalised abuse, uh, offensive abuse, um, is not something that the law will take into account. It's not something that the law will allow a criminal prosecution for. It might allow a civil case, depending on the nature of it. Um, But uh, once you get beyond menace, I think, uh, you're into a situation where it's a cultural and social issue, not a legal issue.
0: Right. So, Leslie Shoemaker, um, you know, I've experienced this myself. I think you've seen some of the stuff I get online occasionally. And, you know, so I remember one day, a few months ago, I just got a random tweet. Um, you are a violent, disgusting individual. I hadn't said anything particularly radical that day. It was just one of those random things. And so that's not a menacing threat. That's not a death threat. I don't think there's anything, you know, illegal in that. But. Um, but it feels like a kick in the stomach every single time. And you wonder, well, you're walking down the street, maybe the person who said that could be walking down after you. But the reaction I get is usually, well, you just have to put up with it. And that's unfortunate.
5: You know, it's a bit like the way bullying used to be in Ireland and even in America, it was sort of oh, usher. Sure, that's just part of growing up. And, and it's not. And unfortunately, the effects are very similar to bullying. That's why we have something called cyberbullying. And in, you know, cases where it can be, Um, you're looking at depression, you're looking at fear, point blank fear. I've been stalked myself a couple of times in a minor physical stalkings and I had to get the police involved and It was the shame I felt that I was quite struck by. I was so ashamed that I had to go seek police assistance. But it is scary because you don't know where it's going to come from. You don't know what's going to happen, what's going to be said. Where are these people? Like in my own case, I had to change my routine. I had to take a couple different types of buses home, taxis. I had to tell my friends. It just happened to a friend of mine who finally opened up and told me um, she was getting harassed. So it doesn't matter where the harassment is coming from. But unfortunately... Like in my case, because it was more physical, people were quite supportive. But in your case, because it's online, you know, it's turn it off. Don't pay attention. I'm sorry. Grow up for people say that. It has the same impact and we need to treat it as a form of bullying and harassment. And I do think our laws need to be tightened up on this. You know, I I think... Well, online, we're moving quicker at a quicker pace than I think anybody's ever anticipated. I think this disinhibition that's happening with people online, the keyboard warriors, we've got all these great little phrases. I find it quite scary and quite disturbing. And I have an online presence and I say things that piss people off. And, you know, at least I just get it usually somebody drunk at a pub. But I'm waiting for the day where somebody, you know, has a proper go at me online, I, you know, It has happened to me where I've seen articles critiquing me and it's really
0: hard. What advice would you give to politicians? Say like, you know, Joan Burton spoke out, you know, this week about, you know, how she felt about that whole Jobstown thing. Not just about on the day and the physical threat, but the online stuff too. How? What can you tell yourself or what should you be um, telling yourself in order to cope with it? More
5: importantly, seek support. Get support from family and friends and do turn off for a period of time if you can. I do think having people screen things. I did that for a while with one of my stocking cases. I had people screen stuff for me. Um, it sounds childish, but it was just sort of to protect myself because... You know what? Everybody has a thin skin after a certain point. We only have so many reserves. And once they're gone, it takes a while, to, you know, to build them up again. Everybody is a human being. But this bucket up attitude just winds me up personally.
0: Um, Angela, I want to get back to something you were saying about um, oversensitivity in some way. Where this started, that people felt there were things that they couldn't say and then that's why they maybe started going to these other websites like 4chan. Will you take us back to that?
2: Yeah, I mean because what you see happening is you know, if you're online and you're using your own name um, then everything you say is under constant scrutiny. If you slip up once, somebody will have screen it. Um, you know, and so people are actually walking on eggshells. So it's a weird thing that both are happening at the same time Uh, so on the one hand you know if you're online you're you're constantly afraid that you're going to say the wrong thing and get in trouble and at the same time you're getting you know horrible stuff sent to you anonymously because those people can say anything they want so for them it's kind of the release of like you know you know, I suppose my liberal parents and teachers won't let me say certain things. So I'm going to say them when I when I get to be anonymous, you know. Um, but just as an example, um, I went on Channel 4 once to speak about the alt-right. And uh, I didn't speak very much and I was very neutral, very much in the background. But the, one of the guests in the studio was a, a girl from a black students group in Britain. And I looked at some of the comments afterwards of, under the videos and they were, so bad. It was absolutely jaw dropping. I just hope she never reads them, you know. Um, so, I mean, one of the problems is, I think, though, see, I worry about making, you know, making the law the way that we solve this, because to me, it's a it's a problem of manners, essentially. Um, yes. And that we have to be able to deal through with it, through culture, if you like, before we we go to the law, um, and so you know, in the case of a true threat, um, that's fine. But other than that, I I wouldn't um, try to legalize it in any way. There
0: was one interesting thing you might like. This one now, um, a Canadian politician called Nikki Ashton, um, and she may become a leader of the NDP, one of their uh, main political parties, and she's a left wing politician, right? Now, I'm not familiar with the lyrics of Beyonce songs, but apparently to the left is a a key line in one of her songs. So she (laughs) tweeted one day, like Beyonce says, to the left, time for an unapologetic left turn for the NDP for social, racial, environmental and economic justice. So she's a left wing um, politician and she said this. The local Black Lives Matter group in Vancouver accused her of appropriating black culture and ordered her to delete her to the left post. Because by quoting Beyonce, that was appropriating black culture. And she did apologise and said it wasn't her intention to appropriate and were committed to a platform of racial justice. So even saying something that seems absolutely innocuous and she complied with, with this order to yeah. remove this thing is that the kind of thing yeah, that you absolutely, absolutely.
2: Yeah absolutely absolutely and uh, you know I mean there's like countless examples over the last couple of years um, if anyone kind of um, you know like John Ronson wrote this book about uh, online shaming yeah. and one of the best examples he uses because he actually goes through it kind of the whole story um, this woman who made an insensitive tweet about AIDS
0: It was Justine Sacco. Justine Sacco, yeah. but she she
2: was actually trying to do a kind of f- knowing, like funny, right on kind of joke. So she was actually being, you know, she was kind of virtue signaling, if you like.
0: She was getting on a plane to go to Africa and said, I'm going to Africa, but I won't catch um, AIDS because I'm white. Yeah. You know, which I thought was clearly a, you know, a political statement against herself. Like yeah, she was yeah, being yeah. ironic. And then she got on the flight and while she couldn't access her phone, it went completely viral. And people were tweeting things like, oh, she doesn't realise her ass is fired by the time she gets off that plane. And she was fired. Her mm. whole life was destroyed mm. for that one thing.
2: Yeah, for, for a joke that didn't quite land, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: So, Worse than that. Oh, no. Um,
4: just Just uh, Maura's point about if you come to the defence of somebody. Yeah. Um. A little further on, John Ronson himself got monstered. Um, and uh, for for the following year, uh, not just for the Justine Sacco, but in part because of it, um, uh, all of the people that he effectively outed or attacked in that book, um, there was a, an awful lot of uh, uh, anonymous support for for them, yeah. um, and in particular against him for publishing the book. So, um, and and he was saying that. Uh, um, it's the kind of thing that he would think about very strongly not doing again now he 's a journalist, he would, but even a journalist would feel in the in the face of that kind of campaign a certain degree of self censorship and I completely agree with angela the the appropriate response the the first appropriate response is a social one uh the best answer to speech is more speech. Point out exactly why this is unacceptable. Point out exactly where the line is, try and educate. Um, around that, so that the next generation of gamers or the next generation um, of of uh, sort of a, um, uh, potential cultural critics uh, will be aware that what they are doing is crossing a line. Part part of the problem at the moment um, is uh, I can't remember which of you said it. Yeah. The disinhibition. Um, oh, it was Leslie? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and so the the answer to disinhibition is not a legal rule; it's a social and personal one.
5: But here is the problem with that, Leslie. If we don't draw a line in the sand, here's the deal with humans. If there's not a consequence to a behavior, we do it again. It gives us permission. So I, I agree about the social thing. I, need, I think we need to bring it into the schools. I think we need to bring it in the homes. I think we need to bring it into the wider community. But to start with, I think we need to start legally and work our way backwards. Because to talk about socially, uh, shame sucks, but you get over it. It's a temporary emotion. Guilt sucks. Temporary emotion. But if you start bringing in legal sanctions, very severe ones, very clear ones, and get that conversation going. How do you do
0: that? Like, how do you make it illegal to call someone a bitch? You know, again,
5: I I don't have any answers in this. I think yeah. this is about a discussion that needs to start happening. I, I think that this world is quite woolly and vague. And what worries me, though, you know, with this disinhibition, the keyboard warriors, is a lot of them don't realize they can be traced. You know, Carl Jung talks about our shadow side. It's the part of ourselves that we try and reject, and it's like your shadow. It's always with you, but you, you don't realize it's there. And these are parts of people's selves that they're trying to pretend aren't there. And the, the, the online stuff gives them permission, essentially, to behave in a way that they would not behave in a socially normal way. And, you know, in society, in public, because the social norms would call them out on it.
0: So we need to bring those social norms into the online culture. But that's going to take time. But say, Marie, you know, the whole point about Twitter that people lauded was, well, this is democratization and this is giving ordinary people mm. a voice. Now, you might say, well, if this is the voice of the ordinary people, maybe we can do without it. But, um you know, if this is their way of expressing their anger and say with something like Jobstown, they might say it's a righteous anger against a neoliberal world and maybe politicians need to be shaken out of their complacency. And this is activism, actually. Well, yeah, actually. there are good
3: sides to Twitter. But and where's the line? To...
0: You know, where's the line in
5: that?
3: The line, uh, there, there's always, technology can decide as well where the line is. Um, Twitter has, of course, its own terms and conditions. So we've talked about um, changing it by uh, changing people's behavior, like socially or changing it with law. But technology can also very much, and obviously technology is enabling this kind of hate speech and incivility. So it can also um, police it in a way. Uh, The terms and conditions of Twitter don't allow for hate speech. And if you have targeted harassment, um, an account can be um, frozen or it can be uh, got rid of completely. Mm. So they're up under another name. I mean, that's my problem. That's true. It's uh, Twitter. That that is the thing people have been saying. Twitter needs to do more. Originally, it was doing not very much at all because it was like this: an open platform. We're not political. You can say whatever you want. Now they're slowly starting to realise that their platform is becoming very toxic. And to what end for them? Because they haven't managed to turn a profit yet. So they should probably decide to turn it into a platform where people aren't afraid to speak out because there is a very There's very much a chilling effect when you realise there's a troll around the corner.
0: But can't that be tricky too? Because, um, you know, I think Facebook tried to edit uh, photographs that might be pornographic and then they end up uh, deleting photographs of women breastfeeding or art or Mm. the famous picture of the girl running from the Agent Orange in my line Vietnam got automatically deleted. You know, it's not. Yeah, but they're not deleting stuff around
5: suicide. You know,
0: it's, it's very you know we're
5: going for pornography but we're not going to go you know for other disturbing content and and i remember reading an article i think it was on the guardian about some of their moderation stuff and i was very very uncomfortable with it and and this is the problem you know where does society and culture draw a line where does the law intervene Nobody. Had, I, these are ethical things I'm throwing out. I don't have the answers. You know, I, I kind of vary on my thoughts even when I read different articles. I mean, the guy who wrote the book, whose name now eludes me. about Thank you. Yeah. My heart went out to him. It's a good book. It's it really good. Um, and unfortunately, I'm one of the people who picked up that tweet the other way. Um, I didn't see it as a joke. And I saw it was quite tactless. And, you know, the fact that he would feel that he has to self-censor, and that's the problem. Our... <clears throat> the people who are speaking out in a positive way, we're going to start self-censoring. There is a consequence to us. And so our voices are going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. Where's the protection for us? So,
0: Owen, what is the responsibility on politicians to maybe lead the way in saying, no, this is not acceptable? Because it's... Seen, now, so, for instance, Leo Vragkart with Paul mm-hmm. Murphy in The Doll, saying that he was um, guilty of thuggery for his role in Jobstown. Um but normally when politicians are complaining about the abuse that they get, they get very little sympathy. They're just told, forget it. You're making these decisions that impact on people's lives. Suck it up.
4: Well, there are uh, at least three recent examples in the UK uh, of politicians where uh, the uh, abuse that they got crossed the line into menace um, and there were successful prosecutions. I mean, during, during the week, um, the anti-Brexit campaigner uh, Gina Miller um, who had received uh, a credible death death threat <laughs> online um, uh, from uh, Rodri Phillips, the fourth Viscount St David's? Um, he was convicted of sending a menacing message, um, and uh, somebody who called for uh, um, a Joe Cox to be done to the uh, Conservative politician Anna, Sou- Anna um, similarly has been convicted of sending menacing messages. Uh, so the UK's DPP has a protocol on prosecuting uh, menacing messages and uh, other uh, unlawful communications online. Um, and so there there are protections. Uh, in Ireland, the equivalent of offence is the offence of harassment and the non-fatal offence against the Person Act. Um, it requires, uh, un- unlike in these cases, which were single messages but credible, it requires more than one mm. uh, occasion. But most of the examples that we get are more than one occasion of harassment and in those circumstances if the police judge that the line has been crossed then they can uh, investigate uh, and they can take their usual actions which range from having a quiet word with a person to sending a file to the DPP and um, uh, the DPP can then decide whether to prosecute or not. Now in the context of the Facebook moderation uh, it was clear that some things were under Um, uh, under uh, patrolled and some things were over patrolled. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that we're having a conversation now and Facebook is going to respond to that uh, and recalibrate um, its moderation rules. And I think that Twitter, similarly, as Maura has said, is in the process of recalibrating its rules. Similarly, I think that there may need to be some changes at the margins to our current legal standards. The Law Reform Commission has been looking at the offence of harassment and said that one serious occasion should amount to harassment. Uh, the, the Law New Zealand has just been amended to that effect um but I uh, I disagree with Leslie I don't think we need a wholesale legal change yes we might need some changes at the margins um but I do think uh by and large uh if a politician has been uh, harassed the harassment rules are there whether it's online or offline so for example um a guy was convicted last year of a harassment campaign uh against Alan Shatter um, and uh, other politicians have made uh, complaints to the uh, to the police, which the uh, to to the guards, which the guards are um, investigating or have investigated. Um, in some cases, they, it hasn't gone any further. In other cases, they have they have taken steps. Um, but in general, the legal position is reasonably clear. And in respect of politicians, they have absolute privilege in the doyle to respond. Not only did Leo Varadkar criticise. Um, Paul Murphy, Mm. but Paul Murphy responded in kind and with more. So um, uh, uh, politicians do get the opportunity to to respond and to vent. Uh, They do get the opportunity to to screen. They do get the opportunity to uh, complain to the police. They're in a much better position than uh, Brianna Wu was, for example, mm. in the context of Gamergate, because she wasn't a public figure at the time. She was thrust into the limelight by virtue of Gamergate.
0: We're talking about the effect of social media on public discourse this morning. And in studio with me, Ono Dell, Mary Boren, Leslie Shoemaker and Angela Nagel. Leslie, you wanted to come back in on a Real point Real quick,
5: there. something I didn't make clear and when you were speaking, I realised this. In the States, I'm, I'm going to use the analogy with drunk driving. In the States, the judges have the ability to, um, as part of the court sentence, not send them to jail. That's not always the way to, to handle something. They can mandate counseling. They can mandate going to AA meetings or another, you know, an alternative to AA because uh, some people don't like the God-based aspect. So... When I'm saying about the legal aspect, I think we need to broaden what the options are. And that's what I didn't make clear. Because I think in some of these cases, I think something like attending some sort of, I'm going to be politically incorrect and call it a sensitivity class or 10 sessions in the counseling. Like another example is in many of the states in America, if you are found abusing animals, they know this often leads on to things like more, you know, domestic violence, things like that. So it's a mandatory 30 hours of counseling in some states. So I think rather than sending to somebody jail to jail getting them more entrenched in their opinion and viewing themselves as a martyr i think there need to be other options on this but
0: angela nagel you see i think a lot of this is about before it even gets that serious going back to your idea of there being things that you cannot say where the mainstream media will get involved in attacking someone who says something apparently unspeakable or unallowable um you know, and the effect that that has just on general public discourse, even if you're just having a debate on abortion, which can be sensitive, or water rates, which is volatile, you know, you don't even have to get to the harassment stage.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you look at the, or go back to the uh, Diane Abbott um, clip, you know, in a way, one of the things that this has brought out, the, this opening up of anonymous online communication, is that uh, we now have to deal with the fact that uh, with with a problem of racism. I mean, because, uh, you know, in in the past you had sort of, um, you know, more of a more formal type of media. And so people could say, oh, no, there's no, you know, racism is a thing of the past and so on. But now it's undeniable that there's like this oh, yeah. huge amount of, of really, really hateful uh, racist kind of sentiment out there. And we can't really deny it anymore. And therefore, we have to deal with it. So, I mean, to see the kind of, I'm not going to say it's positive, but to see the silver yeah. lining in a way, you know, all of this stuff does bring things to the surface and it forces us to deal with issues that we would have been able to sweep under the carpet in the past, maybe. How do you go
0: about dealing with that, though?
2: Yeah, I it, it, it is difficult. But look, I mean, it took thousands of years to develop like the, the, the system of manners and etiquette that we use every day in, in our lives, you know. Um, and so in the online world, hopefully it won't take that long, but, you know, it is a new, the the, the system of, of manners and etiquette has not been settled. And in many cases, I often feel that the big arguments that are going on online, the big culture wars, are really a kind of... Um, an attempt to have an influence on what becomes the norm. Yeah. You know, and, and so it's a battle over deciding what that norm is. So, for example, in the case of th- things like Gamergate, um, you know, the guys who were, uh, you know, who got involved in this stuff, it was, you know, primarily men, but there were some women, um, you know, their attitude was, you know, these people, these politically correct people are trying to ruin, are trying to wage a kind of, a culture war, if you like, and a cultural revolution to change video games and films and all kinds of things that we love and we like them how they are. We don't want them to change. And, you know, for them, video games are these precious things that they love. And, you know, that was where the anger was coming from. They were saying, this is a cultural revolution and we want to stop it. Um, Now, in a way, they were were correct in the sense that there was, you know, a concerted effort on the part of... um, you know, some of the women that they attacked to actually change gaming. Yes, yeah, you know. they were. Yeah, and so they they, they were correct in intuiting that, that, that there was an attempt to change culture, essentially. And it was a battle over what those cultural norms would be.
0: What you were saying about that manners and etiquette has evolved, say, over thousands of years. Does that mean that actually that that manners evolved in the class of people in the political and media establishment and actually underneath it didn't evolve at all. So this democratisation of Twitter, uh, you know, has shown that actually underneath, we're all still these primal animals. Yeah. And it was almost a niche thing, the idea of political discourse and etiquette.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, manners is always on the surface. I mean, you know, you don't need to, uh, you don't need to love everyone. You just need to restrain yourself and behave in certain restrained ways I mean that's the definition of manners you don't need to be a nice person underneath it.
0: So um, Marie Boren going back to the involvement of the mainstream media um, I think was it you were saying that actually very few people are on Twitter that it's something like 18% of uh, people are on Twitter and I know the village where I live no one ever mentions Twitter But in the newspapers that I write for and in this station, obsessed with Twitter. And if someone says something on Twitter, well, this is what the people think. Mm. And we must reflect this and we'll read it out on air. Um, so what is the role of the mainstream in how to manage that? Do they ignore it and say, these are the minority? Mm-hmm. Or do they stoke it up for material? Oh, they certainly amplify it. If you look at
3: the US presidential um Election and how uh, Trump and everybody else used Twitter. Uh, the media, the media was there, and most Americans aren't on Twitter. So the media transported it yeah. to mainstream media, mm-hmm. where people people talk a lot about Twitter on whether it's CNBC or Fox News. But it wasn't. People weren't going and signing up to use Twitter and engage with Trump or Clinton, but they knew all about it. So so now people are talking about it. It's become a way for journalists to get more attention and grab. Some news, but yeah, it's not being used by regular people, so it doesn't it's not it's obviously not representative of the general population
4: oh no um, I think that we can conclude though that uh, uh, online is showing our true feelings the uh, some recent research into um, Google searches has demonstrated, for example that uh Below the surface, when you type in "what is the uh, the, the the various options that yeah. you automatically get depending on your location can <laughs> yeah. can be racist," um, and uh, there are uh, several American states in which um, uh, racist uh, searches are a very high proportion of the searches online. So um, uh, even if Twitter is uh, only representative of a small proportion, other research is demonstrating that um, there are similar uh, um, problems uh, more generally as well. And, if I, you know, mo- uh, most people uh, who are online use Google as their search. Um, and uh, uh, Google searches are showing that uh, scratch the surface, uh, below the surface, there is a, a still a great deal uh, of racism.
3: Marie, the platform definitely dictates behaviour. I think it was from the same study, but they showed that uh, women tend to on Facebook and um, when they put my husband is, it's usually it's usually followed by adorable, amazing, supportive. Oh, right. But when women type my husband is into Google, annoying, irritating, <laughs> lazy came up <laughs> as the top word so you can see how the platform dictates how we that whole idea of true self i don't agree because i think the platform encourages an aspect of the self so what do you mean
0: by that what's true self
3: the true self or how we really feel about things so on facebook we feel that we're having amazing meals and holidays and our pets and our babies are awesome but on google we're feeling a whole lot of more raw honest darker things (laughs)
0: So, Leslie Shoemaker, if this then is about revealing our primal true selves, so it's not about Twitter, it's about um, exposing our prejudices and our lack of manners and all of that. um, What is the solution? Do we say, right, enough of this Twitter and enough of this social media, let's clamp down on it as much as possible? Or is it possible to engage in some kind of cultural education of the masses to improve ourselves,
5: I think it's. I do think it's very possible to bring in a, a cultural education. It's about value systems. But how do you do it, though? We're doing it with bullying. It's slow work, but mm. we are doing it with bullying. There, you know, since I've lived here, I'm here twenty four years now. You know, there's been a huge shift. When I got here, bullying was just accepted as a rite of passage. Whereas mm. now, you know, we're talking about it. They're bringing in cyber uh, bullying campaigns. It's in the
0: media. Yeah, but let me tell you something about that, though, now. Like, as I was saying before, you know, I get a lot of this stick, mm. you know. And if you say something about water break rates or whatever, or I might get it as a proxy for Dennis O'Brien or something oh, like yes, that. Oh, yes, I've seen that. Yeah. And um, I've been very disappointed in people that I know, friends of mine, who... Don't go in to defend or don't take on people. That's called
5: the bystander effect.
0: There's yes. a reason. Yeah. The
5: bystander effect is basically, and it happens with, it's. It all came out in the 1970s. There was a horrific murder. Poor Kitty. She was slowly murdered by this man in a suburb of New York, month of March, and nobody came out and helped her. A few people banged on windows. A few people kind of opened doors. And eventually, her man got spooked, and he went off, and then he came back, and nobody had come out to even help her. So he finished her off. So The world was so horrified by this. This is when they start to look at bystander effect. This is why we don't report sexual abuse. This is why we don't report um, domestic violence. Because Jamie Bolger case... I read a fantastic article about why the 35 people who approached those kids did not go to the police. In that particular case, it was the construct of family, because one of the boys was all, was always saying, this is my little brother. And so people have this idea that, ooh, family, we don't interfere. Yeah. So we need to look at the constructs, the societal constructs that are holding us back from doing it. So for example, it's really funny. I actually did a piece here a few years ago in a sexual abuse case, and I went back to my social Psychology book, and I looked up bystander effect, and I had written at the age of nineteen, "Yell fire," and what the message to me was, "Never yell rape, because people won't come, but people want to see a fire." <laughs> it was clearly advice given to me by so the professor. So translate
0: that onto social media. Then. So social That's media is equivalent. Same, of same thing. Fire.
5: If I put my if I put my neck out there, I'm going to be attacked. I'm going to have to put up with it. What if I do it wrong? What if I'm not good enough? We have a lot of anxieties around being um, judged by other people and here's a fact you know in psychology good old carl rogers said be non-judgmental uh fact research shows we are constantly judging it's about Mm -hmm. being aware of our judgments being mindful of our judgments I have inappropriate judgments, and when it happens to me, I step back and I go, hold on here, let's reevaluate that one, let's reexamine it, because I'm working with clients in a private practice, so I'm going to have automatic judgments. So it's about being aware of them, put them back in check, reevaluate them, that kind of thing, because we all have socially inappropriate thoughts, we all have, you know, all sorts of weird and wacky things, that's a fact, that's the way the brain works. Does it mean that we have to verbalize them? No. You know, and acceptance and commitment therapy, they have this great thing, you know, just to have an impulse doesn't mean you have to act on it. And what we're looking at is impulse control as well. Mm. And it's about going, you know, you don't have to hit send. God, I've written angry emails and it feels really cathartic. Well, <laughs> oh, I'm an expert in those. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that feels so much better. <laughs> Delete. Because <laughs> I never put the name up there just in case I accidentally hit send. So there's great ways to, you know, deal with these emotions. But we don't have to attack other people. But
0: Owen, um, the the kind of new wave of politicians that came in in the last couple of elections and the sense from the more established politicians that they were <clears throat> breaking rules of etiquette. So even by the way Mick Wallace might dress, you know, in the doll or the language used by some of the more left wing TDs. <clears throat> Or say when it comes to abortion, you know, very emotive language being used there. Up on both sides, um, you know, what is an appropriate reaction from those established politicians? Because maybe they were being complacent, and maybe it was a little club of which party got in or out. It never really mattered you know, how can they provide leadership in Um, restoring (laughs) civility to the discourse?
4: Two things. Yeah. A little point about uh, Mick Wallace's pink shirts or the um, decision during the week from the committee um, uh, in the Doyle <clears throat> not to wear slogan T-shirts because um, uh, some left-wing politicians wore repeal shirts yeah. um, uh, last year.
0: I mean, up to recently, you weren't even allowed to wear a charity badge or anything mm-hmm. into the doll. There was no symbols of no. any kind allowed.
4: Yeah. Uh, but I, I think those rules are um, terribly restrictive of political speech. I, th- I think it's important that we know that McWallace Wallace is wearing a pink shirt because he wants to make a political point yeah. around the fact that it's important to reclaim pink. When he... Um, <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, that it shouldn't necessarily carry socially judgmental uh, consequences. When he set up the Wexford Youths football team, um, he insisted that uh, their uh, strip was a pink strip. Oh, right. Um, so he is making a political point by wearing a by wearing a pink shirt in exactly the same way as the people wearing the repeal T shirts were making a political point. And I think it's very very important that our politicians can make a political point. Um, the the more general point. Um, I think that we have to be very careful, even in our uh, social and cultural responses, not to overreact. If we go back to, uh, through. Um, uh, communications technologies from the invention of the printing press, uh, the, com- the communications technology has always allowed the destabilization of the existing political elite. Um, and therefore they have always reacted badly because yeah. they are the ones who are being, uh, critiqued by virtue of the additional new communications. Um, uh, and, uh, if we look at things like the the evolution of the novel, the novel um, critiques social institutions and the people who are the arbiters of those social institutions feel threatened by the novel. If we look at the development of the press, the whole point about the development of the press was to hold the political class to account. Um, now... We might say that some of the early screeds printed uh, by the printing press went socially too far. We might say that some novels push the boundaries. We might say that the press in certain cases goes too far. We might say that uh, movies and television and so on are going too far. Uh, And therefore, we might say that uh, social media are going too far. But we have to be very careful Mm. not to overreact. Mm. Um, If the political class are discomfited, that is not a bad thing
0: we're talking about the effect of social media on public discourse this morning and in studio with me Owen O'Dell a lecturer <clears throat> a law lecturer in Trinity College Marie Bourne is a columnist of the Irish Times Leslie Shoemaker is a counselling psychologist and Angela Nagel is a writer and author of Kill All Normies so Angela just before the break there Owen was making a very strong case look you know Political establishments need to be discomforted and have always been by <coughs> disruptive developments in uh, publication of material. Yeah, and I very it is. much agree with that. Yeah, I, I'm I'm convinced. Right, you've sold <laughs> me, Owen. However, going back to that um, thing that you were talking about at the start, that where even you know people on the left, if they make any kind of what's deemed to be culturally inappropriate uh, remark, the comeback and the viciousness is such that. People are afraid, you know, journalists, academics, you know, public intellectuals are terrified of saying the wrong thing. And so withdraw from public discourse. The middle withdraws. You're left with polarisation and you end up with Donald Trump and Brexit. So, you know, there is a real effect here. It's not just about saying the establishment is discomfited. That's all right. It's not all right.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that in the case of the establishment being discomforted, I mean, you know, one of the things I would be worried about in the question of dealing with this with the law is that, you know, it is dangerous to give uh, people with a great deal of power, also legal power to silence people who are questioning them. Mm. And uh, I've seen, you know, lots of cases in all the conversations that go on about trolling, for example. I've seen loads of examples of very powerful people using the trolling sort of moral panic, if you like, to stop people criticising them. Um, and I think that's a real problem. Um, and I think actually, I mean, I think we we disagree on this, I suspect, but yeah. in the case of the Jobstown thing, you know, um, it would be great if we all had a totally polite discourse all the time and protested in the correct way and <laughs> so on. But, you know, if you, you think back to when that happened, you know, it was a huge, you know, this this the biggest upward transfer of wealth in the history of the state had just happened. People's lives were being destroyed, you know, uh, the the and, and we've suffered for ever since, really, for the changes that the political class brought about in those years. So, uh, you know, it, when you put, you know, rudeness and, and kind of even threats in that context, you know, you have to say that the real material impact on people's lives is is so much greater than the question of of. Uh, manner is an advocate,
0: right? And that I take that point. That's completely fair. But what about um, Maria? I put this to you: the the collapse of the centre, that where people in the middle, and say the abortion debate might be a good one on that, where people with nuanced or conflicting views just stay out of it because it's yeah. just so angry, and where the, any small little line is just you know taken completely out of context. So the centre withdraws. That does have an effect then on political outcomes and on political discourse. Absolutely. Um, that whole idea of extremism, whether it's
3: an extreme view on left or right, it's it's, uh, yeah, it's making this shrinking middle where nobody's talking anymore or you're afraid to. I even find myself as, whether it's in the capacity of per- my, me, my own person, as an academic or a journalist, you think before you tweet. And often I just weigh up um, and realise it's not worth the possible trolling that might ensue. Even in terms of if we go go back quickly to GamerGate, but I'd find a really interesting academic article on it, and I put GamerGate the GamerGate hashtag on it. A year later, thinking this is fine, nobody's going going to still be talking about this, and lo and behold, uh, less than an hour later, and I was getting um, yeah verbal abuse. So you, there definitely is a chilling effect. People are reluctant to speak out unless they want to jump into one extreme group or the other. So you do feel like common sense. To an extent, has been maybe abandoned, but I do think that there are some technological solutions for that whole idea of people just rushing in there with extreme thoughts. And um, there's a company in America that moderates reader comments by by crowdsourcing the moderation. So if you want to make a comment, you have to read three comments and deem them civil or uncivil. And that whole process, you're helping weed out
5: oh, uncivil, yeah. wherever
3: that might be, but uncivil comments. But you're also that there's a delayed. Gratification. So, you have to think before you post or tweet. So, maybe we can implement fair, people powered, crowdsourced technologies that help people edge towards more civil discourse.
0: Oh, no, Dell, what about the role of journalism, of mainstream journalism? You know, I was asking before about media's obsession with Twitter and reprinting things and uh, rebroadcasting things that are said on Twitter and perhaps popular columnists joining in with a shaming um, campaign or something like that. Do you think is there a role for the media in all of well, this? Well, I
4: think I think, again, I'm going to to make two separate yeah. points. The, f- the first point I would make is that there's a significant difference between uh, the democratic outcomes and the social outcomes. Mm. Um, you were talking about the hollowing out of the centre, mm. leaving us with with Trump and Brexit. Well, that's the consequence of democracy. Um, we have to accept a democratic outcome. Uh, we have to accept that the political system can elect Trump and the political system can uh, um, can give us Brexit um, because we can also get Justin Trudeau or maybe Leo Varadkar would like to see himself in the, in the same vein. Now, the point is that democratic systems self-correct over time. Um, there will be some reaction to Trump. There will be some reaction to Brexit. Um, And therefore, uh, the whole point about a democratic system is that uh, uh, it may be that uh, this week's cranks are next week's uh, mainstream politicians. The green agenda in the 70s was regarded as bonkers. It is now so mainstreamed that the Green Party finds it difficult uh, to have a separate existence. Um, I'm not saying that Trump is going to turn out to be uh, uh, the equivalent of the green agenda, but we either accept or reject, but we have to consider uh, the democratic uh, arguments and the democratic outcomes. But I think that that's very different, and this is my second point, um, from the sort of social things that, that we're talking about. Um, and I, I completely agree that, uh, uh with Maura that there are some technological, uh, um, solutions. I, I agree with Leslie that there are some uh, social, cultural, educational solutions. Um, but I think that unless we, uh, properly distinguish the situations, the legal from the social, the political from the non-political, if we lump everything in together, then we can very easily get to the situation that Angela is critiquing of uh, powerful people uh, overreacting uh, to one problem uh, so that they can protect themselves in another context.
0: You see, and that's all very well. You know, and and I take your point about, look, Trump and Brexit are democratic outcomes.
4: But they were really bad outcomes. That's what you think. But there are enough people to have voted <laughs> in favour of, I mean, that puts you in the 48%, not the 52% right. on both of those issues. Um, and if you think that they're very bad outcomes, then you take advantage of communications technology. You take advantage of the microphone in front of you to persuade people of um the the you know the the correctness and the rightness of your views and, and to switch the, and switch them around um and so we we have the democratic means to change bad outcomes uh, so we, we we should distinguish that, and we shouldn't prevent the discourse that that leads to these democratic outcomes. We should take advantage of them to uh, result in better democratic so outcomes.
0: Leslie owns making the case for bravery. Really? Could I sum it up like that? On the part of people who are involved in public debate, well, we have to take it on and, I, and, and we have to stand our ground.
5: I, I like the bravery idea and that's really good. And I was listening to Owen, I was just thinking about my Facebook and, oh, 35 people on it, I'm pretty sad, but that's okay. And mainly it's family in the States and I have Trump supporters. My sister voted for <gasps> Trump. We're not going to go there. <laughs> I
0: have two. I've relations in oh, the States who voted for Trump. God, yes. and
5: what's interesting... We've stopped complaining about the church and we've stopped complaining about Trump. And I think it's a social norm that's happened now because I don't think anybody wants to fall out with each other. And there was a conversation at one point. Somebody posted something. I forget what it was. And it was basically, guys, can we just all back off and just go back to being family and friends again? And it was really, really good. And because I put up something inflammatory about the church the other day. And a couple hours later, I took it down and I went, you know what? Because I realized nobody's doing that in Facebook anymore. We're putting up the cat videos, we're putting up the nice stuff, pictures of ball, you know, softball games with the kids, things
0: like that. And I went, that's the purpose of this. Let's take politics out of it. Yeah, my mother's phrase is let's talk about the crops and the weather. Um, I will leave that there for this morning. Ono O'Dell, Murray Boren, Leslie Shoemaker, Angela Nagel. Many thanks for joining me this morning. Aidan McKelvey Research, Stephen Jordan Produce. And thank you for listening.